welcome to the AOE podcast. Uh, I'm here with Nick. Hey, everybody. And Ed. Buenos dias. <laughs> Ed today will Spanish be played by Ed. a young Mexican boy. <laughs> I like that right out the gate you said AOE. Where that's that's you've modernized this in a big in yeah, a big way no. there. I, 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 I was thinking about that, but it's really because I can't say in frightenment. <laughs> um, as pointed out by Jenna, she was like, every time you say it, you sound like an idiot. <laughs> it's, I, it's a made-up word. Everybody sounds like an idiot when they say it. I don't know. I think yeah. I sound pretty awesome saying it. And frightenment. Yeah, besides Nick, everyone sounds like an asshole. <laughs> but, you know, you, usually on this podcast, we... Uh, we have to do like deep dives into research and you know we have like multiple tabs open on our computers and we have to like really critically analyze anything and this time we were like fuck it let's just talk about movies because <laughs> i think we owe ourselves a break once in a while <laughs> yeah you know we've earned this <laughs> Where it's not going to be as good as Bad Omens, but just fucking get over it. Yeah, <laughs> well, if your it's, favorite it's, thing, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit more complex than that. We wanted to do another, like, interlude episode where we each pick topics and kind of just expunge on them. And we figured we can do movies. Specifically, we want to do horror movies that you might not have heard of before that are, like, a little bit lesser known that we feel deserve a second look. So, you know, you might get turned on to something pretty cool in this episode. Yeah, like, have you guys heard of the Shawshank Redemption? <laughs> I mean, the guy crawled through, like, a mile of shit. If that's not a horror movie, I can't think of There of is a decent is... amount of rape in that movie. And it is true. Butt rape. I don't know if a decent amount. I would say average. Uh, more rape than in most movies, I'd say. By decent, know. Theo means that it was sufficient for him, basically. <laughs> yeah, he finished. <laughs> that is it was, not... just, it was oh, just the right amount. That is not what I meant. See, this is what happens when we don't have notes in front of us. We go, yeah, it gets dark real quick. Exactly. All right. So here, let me, uh, let, let me, let me guide us like Christ. Um, <laughs> so what was the first movie that actually scared you guys? Uh, Nick, you, yeah, you go first. Okay. So I w- I've been thinking about this for the past five minutes since we knew we were going to get asked that question. Um, and it's hard for me to pinpoint just because... Uh, with the kids that I grew up with on my street, we were always watching horror movies, but more slasher ones. So even at like six years old, we would watch uh, we would watch Friday the 13th and we'd watch Freddy and things like that. And I found them more entertaining than scary, definitely scary in like jump scare way. So I don't know if any of those made a big enough impression for it to be like, holy shit, that that frightened me. So the one that actually came to mind, and I think it's kind of funny because similar to, to Theo's, the one that, that he had brought up before, it's not a movie that was made with horror in, in its intention, and it's the Rankin and Bass animated Hobbit movie. Where, oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I so can... you probably know exactly what I'm going to say. It's the, it's the riddles in the dark scene with Gollum. Yeah, yeah and that's a particularly creepy Gollum. He looks... A lot more frog-like. Yeah, he's very amphibian. He's very sort of Lovecraftian, and his eyes are huge, and they shine in the light. And just in general, he's very drippy. Even the hobbits in that movie (laughs) look terrifying. 
because just the way that they drew it, everything has kind of the same horrifying face, even if they're such a good guys. movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it made such an impression that I must have seen it when I was really, really little, and it scared the shit out of me to the point where skip ahead to 2001, maybe when the first Lord of the Rings came out. Um, I think that sounds about right. Fellowship. And I was in the movie theater with two friends and I had completely blocked out that the cartoon existed in my life. And I'm watching the first scene where Gandalf kind of points out that Gollum had been following them. And they literally just show his hands and his eyes kind of peek over a rock. And I instantly like shivered because all of a sudden this like blocked out memory of a terrifying kids movie came back into my head and I grabbed my friend next to me and I said, I know this. I know this story. I've heard of oh, this God. story and it's awful. It's like you were sodomized. <laughs> it's, I, I really, it was like I was seeing Gollum's face and just being like, I remember what you did to me. <laughs> you monster. So I think that's the one, that was the first impression where it's like, oh, this is what not, this is what wanting to look away from the screen feels like, that kind of horror fear. And, yeah. and I've had that very few times. Some of the movies on my list have kind of recreated that feeling for me, but it's, it's very hard to recapture that. Yeah. Uh, Ed, what, uh, what spooked you? Where do you want me to go? Okay, so I've been thinking about mine for the past 25 years. <laughs> uh, and I feel like anybody who knows me really well is going to know the answer to this already. But uh, the first time I remember being absolutely terrified by a movie – is The Dark Crystal. So for those of you who d- might not be aware of it, this is a movie that came out in 1982. Um, it was directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz, who was one of the original Muppeteers. Now, when you think Jim Henson, you think Sesame Streets and, you know, the Star Wars puppets and shit. Um, during the 80s, Jim Henson was getting really experimental. And he made this movie called The Dark Crystal. And the thing about it is that it's this really interesting fantasy movie and it's this beautifully designed world and there's all these like really amazing characters and everything in it and it scares the fuck out of me <laughs> in <And> particular <laughs> in particular there's the the villains of the movie are called skexies and they're these vulture monsters and I know he's going to do it, so one of them makes this particular <laughs> sound. Yeah, he, the sound he makes. And, like, I, I have vivid memories of watching this as a child and being just horrified by it. And even now, it's just like, I can't watch the movie. And the thing is that, like, there was a companion piece that came out around the same time, which is The Labyrinth, which is much more known because it's yeah. got Bowie in it. And I think it was 80, 85, I think, yeah. Yeah, and The Labyrinth used to scare the shit out of me, too. But, like... <laughs> It got to the point where I was like, you know, in my mid-20s, like, I don't fucking care. I'm going to watch it. And I watched it, and I I realized, like, oh, I love this movie. It's got Bowie. It's really funny and self-aware. And it's just, in general, like, a great movie. And I love it now. And don't get me wrong, there's still some parts that, like, really deeply scare me about it. But, like, it's it's just, it's a fun movie, and I really enjoy it. And I've tried that sense with The Dark Crystal, and just, nope. I can't make it like 15 <laughs> minutes into it because it's and I think it's a testament to how good Henson was at what he did. I mean, I truly consider Jim Henson a hero of mine because these the creatures he made in this are so lifelike and so realistic that it's like looking it's like watching an alien planet, which is what it was supposed to be, but it's 
it's the uncanny valley, I think. Yeah, and that's and like you said, it's a testament to that work. And really, that was the first one where they really experimented with what the definition of puppetry was. So there are things in that movie that you wouldn't say, oh, that's a puppet, but it is a form of a puppet. But they're using their bodies in different ways. They're using animatronics in different ways. They're using multiple people uh, moving one puppet. So all of these creatures that go far beyond like a hand up Kermit's tush are really, really intense and they're huge and they make strange sounds. And I think part of what probably gets to Theo that, that the labyrinth doesn't is that there are no people. So in every other Henson project, there's someone to sort of be the grounding relief, whether it's John Cleese in The Muppet Show or it's David Bowie in The Labyrinth. And this is a a movie (laughs) completely that's just puppets. David Bowie was not grounded. In <laughs> well, he wasn't grounded in his life, but neither was Jim. Yeah. So, I mean, it arguably, was a good, he was, good was the most Muppet like. <laughs> the so Muppets I, were like, oh my God, who is controlling that thing? Yeah, Jesus. So, I have a bit of a tendency to kind of obsess about the Dark Crystal because, like, everything about it screams something that I should love. Right. And I just, like, watching it, it's, it's almost at this point, like, it almost isn't like fear. It just it makes my skin crawl. Right. It's like, I don't know. It makes me just feel like uncomfortable. Right. Which is, I think, and I think we'll get into some of the movies on our list. I know for me, the ones that I love the most are that kind of creeping terror as opposed to an immediate fear. So it does. It like, it crawls under your skin and stays there, which I think also makes me fascinated because I totally get it. It's one of my favorite movies and I love it. But I'm not going to deny that it's not creepy. There are parts of it that were designed to be creepy and they're successful. And I think what's funny too is, it's Jim's proudest achievement. He's interviewed plenty of times and said that that was the thing that he made that he, he's most precious about. So if he had his way, he'd have a career of nothing but Dark Crystal. Not nothing but, but a lot more <laughs> movies like Dark Crystal to torture What sounds Theo like with. terrible acid dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's funny is that like since the, you know, the year since the movie was made, there's been like books and comics and shit made yeah. out of out of the, uh, you know, based on it. And, like, in particular, there's one called Creation Myths that yeah. is fucking incredible. And reading the comics, completely different experience. I think it's great. And I see the the monsters depicted on paper that scare me when I see them on TV and just nothing. They're just cool monsters. And keep it, an eye out for a new series coming out on Netflix that Theo won't watch. <laughs> Hell no, I ain't watching it. <laughs> All right, so... That, so what's yours, Dave? Awesome. And I've never, I've never seen Dark Crystal, so that's now on my list. Yeah, homework. Um, but uh, this is not going to surprise either of you. Probably add less. Um, Event Horizon was actually the first thing that scared the shit out of me. Really? Um, Event Horizon? Yeah, Event but when did Horizon. that come out? 97. Yeah, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's a scary movie. Yeah. But, like, we were, yeah. we were, like, you know, 10 when that came out. Yeah, the, the first... Um, I mean, the first thing that really scared me was an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode called The Ghastly Grinner. Oh, I remember um, that one. That's the one with um, the, the clown, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah. That's like, everybody's that, least favorite episode of Are You Afraid yeah, of the Dark. Yeah, It's I the most fun in the park weeks. when you're laughing in the dark. <laughs> but no, 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 no. That's not Ghastly Grinner. That's the, that's the carnival one. Um, that's yeah, Laughing I, in the Dark, I think it's called. Okay, well, which um, one's Ghastly Grinner? Ghastly Grinner is, I believe, the comic book one. Oh, where, oh, oh. Is that the one where the kid puts the comic in the microwave? Yep. And oh, then, okay, yeah. okay. 
Wow, um, I don't remember that one at all. That's going on my homework list. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's 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 argued as the scariest episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, but no, Event Horizon. <clears throat> my parents showed it to me way too young. And again, as I've mentioned on the podcast, I did not grow up in a religious household. However, I knew of this thing called religion and like <laughs> the concept of heaven and hell and everything. So Event Horizons take on hell and the fact that it could be a physical place it's just one universe over when I say like it seeded a deep fear in me that didn't go away for like 10 years <laughs> that movie really fucked me up I love it it's now what it's still one of my favorite movies like, I don't care that it has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes I love that <laughs> that's, movie that's one I think like the it's gonna stand the test of time I think like you know 10 20 years from now that's going to be like considered a classic is it's Rotten Tomatoes score really that low no, it's super low. I've never it's actually seen the low. whole thing, but I know it's a cult favorite, so I'm uh, shocked. It's definitely yeah. worth watching. It's really yeah, I, I would put it in my top five favorite horror movies of all time. Okay, like it's, great. It's uh, conceptually terrifying. You just have to get past... It was made in the mid-'90s, so like there's a token black character there's the right. british doctor who knows everything there's a smug md that like is real no not like everybody is like a trope right um, right but it like story-wise like the concept of it that you know they lost this ship and it disappeared into another dimension through a wormhole that it made and it went off the radar and came back and it, it transcended into some kind of awful hell dimension uh and the ship itself is now haunted which is pretty fucking high concept seeing as how like you know if you think of lost or anything like that that came years later do yourself a favor and look up some of the, like the the behind the scenes stuff for that movie because like there was so much more that they wanted to do like the actual like moments where there's visions of hell they that's only a fraction of like what they filmed Good God, really? Yeah, there's, like, a whole lot that they just, like, couldn't get away with because they would have had, like, a, um NC-17 rating. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that, that like, that was, <laughs> as a, a like, 9, 10-year-old, I, like, remember going to bed that night and thinking, like... <laughs> My parents fucked us. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't baptize my sister and I. We're gonna go there. Yeah, like, that's, that's right. You weren't able to like there. crawl into the the knowledge that oh, but I'll be fine because I pray and I go to church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is not a good introduction to like the concept of the afterlife. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that's really it. cool. Um, so what do you, so this is, uh, I didn't even think of this. Do you guys know roughly? So when you saw event horizon, was that when it came out more or less? I'm, so we I'm would have been like nine or 10, I guess. Yeah. My memory is a little bit, uh, jumbled because it was so traumatic. <laughs> I can't remember if my parents brought me to the theater or if it was right when it came out on VHS, they rented it and were like hard nine and 10 year old children will love this. Right. Yeah. I didn't oh. see it until a couple years ago. And this oh, was at, I, at your suggestion. I finally got around to watching it. Yeah. It's, it's a hard sell, uh, to get people on board with, uh, just cause like it, it looks like it's going to be a shitty nineties sci-fi movie, but I like, 
I'm yet to tell someone to watch that movie and have them come back and be like, that was terrible. No, the, the it's... reviews I usually get are that and, was fucking terrifying. And it's got a lot of great people in it. Uh, Sam Neill is in it, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Jason Isaacs. So the, the, the acting is really wonderful. Some amazing set pieces, too. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, initially I thought that movie was going to be crap, but, like, I'm so glad I watched it. That's Nick. You got to watch that one. You will really dig it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it sounds right at my alley. I think it's funny because I know that growing up, I've seen posters for it or seen the VHS on people's shelves. And I don't know what it was. There was something about it that just didn't appeal to me. It just looked like a standard, I don't know, boring adult movie, I guess, when I was a kid. <laughs> but it's, I guess I just didn't consider it, a, I didn't know enough to consider it a horror movie because I loved horror movies. And yet that wasn't on my radar. Oh, yeah. No, watch it. You'll be so happy and upset that you did. Awesome. So I'm wondering right now, since we're talking about the early childhood stuff, for you guys, and I know we've talked about this before, but just for listeners, what was your horror slash terror, any kind of scary movie diet like when you were younger? Or when did it, when did it become, I guess, a steady diet versus the casual horror viewing experience? Well, for me, when I was younger, I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies. That was like a strict hard line with my parents. You know, it's like you can watch this when you're older. But what I was allowed to watch was monster movies. So I have vivid memories of being in Blockbuster and like, you know, and in my mind, it feels like it was I would just wander for hours, but I'm sure it was only like 15 minutes. But I would always remember like getting lost in the horror section and just spending my entire time just looking at like the covers on the VHX boxes. And like these movies, I'd never be allowed to watch, but like I was fascinated by them. So I would gravitate to the monster movies because that's what I was allowed to watch. So anything with like a giant animal I would get or something that falls out of space I would get. So when I was your early, when I was really young, I developed a love for Godzilla. Right. So, like, all the old Japanese kaiju movies I fucking loved because that's, like, the closest thing to real scary stuff I could get until I was, like, 12, 13. Which is, now imagine if you were younger when something like Cloverfield came out. You could kind of, like, say to your parents, oh, it's just a monster movie, but it was so much more. It was such a horror movie, too, on a certain level. Well, that's the thing is because I was allowed to watch things with monsters, every now and then I'd be able to sneak in something good, like... I was probably six or seven the first time I saw Alien. Right, right. And because it's like, oh, it's just an action movie. It's not, you know. Right, exactly. And that's, you know, I, I think there probably isn't a movie that influences my taste and sensibilities as much as Alien has. And all yeah. the, and well, not all the sequels, but it had like two good sequels. So. <laughs> <laughs> two of the nine sequels. Really <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't see Alien until much, much later. I, I grew up uh, watching horror films. Like, I don't, I don't remember a lot of what I watched. Like, uh, th- there's like, there's two stages for me: uh, uh, pre-event horizon and post-event horizon. <laughs> um, and as much as Event Horizon fucked me up, it, it got me into horror. Right. Um, and, you know, my parents were actually pretty liberal when it came to that. They, you know, they weren't cool with, like, really explicit sex scenes uh, or, like, really, really over-the-top intense violence. But aside from that, it was pretty much free reign. Uh, so, you know, as soon as, as soon as we got a 
blockbuster card. Um, yeah, I would I would continuously peruse the horror section. I, I gravitated more towards paranormal stuff. It, it it honestly wasn't until much later that I got into into monster flicks. Right. Yeah, that's cool. So it's funny. Um, no, I know what we want to do for this episode is we each want to kind of go turn by turn talking about our top movies. And Theo just named one of my top fives. It might be my top favorite horror movie, which is Alien. Um, I was thinking about it a lot today because I thought, well, there's probably some stuff that edges it out. But I think when we're talking about sort of our diet as a kid, that was definitely something I saw really young and it left an impression. And I didn't know it at the time, but I think in general, I was really drawn to how terrified I was of H.R. Giger's artwork, who designed the Xenomorph. Because I also remember being way too young to watch Species and watching that at a neighbor's house. Talk about overt sexuality and intense violence. Um, and Giger also designed Sill, the, the alien monster from Species. And I remember that to my core terrified me because I'm like a young boy who's like, that girl's really sexy, but she turns into the worst thing you've ever seen. And I feel that, like Species was a lot of pre-internet masturbation fodder. <laughs> it was, but it was also so, it also so deeply ingrained yourself into that idea, especially so now flip the, the coin from where you were at, Dave. Here I am, a Catholic boy who feels like any bad thoughts I have are a sin. So now it's like, oh, that lady's really hot. Oh my God, she turned into a demon. Like, that's what I get for being And for that's being why sinful. you're still afraid of women today, right? Right, yeah. That's why my wife and I sleep in different rooms and I wear a chastity belt in case she's feeling frisky. Um, but that was, so Alien had that same impact where it was like this weird biological terror because so much of Alien is about this invasion of the body. And I don't think any movie ever has, has done that nearly as well. None of the sequels, no other sci- sci-fi movie or horror movie has made it so terrifying to just be a human being and be like fragile to something invading your body. No. Uh, one of the reasons that I love Alien so much, uh, and it's something that I picked up on when I was kind of putting together movies for this episode, is that we're all real big Lovecraft fans, and yeah. we're all big movie fans. There aren't many good Lovecraft movies. Like, there's a lot of really low-budget no. ones that, like, kind of suck, but there's a lot of movies that are very influenced by Lovecraft, and Alien is one of them. Alien is very much influenced by... Um, at the Mountains of Madness. And I think that's, like, one of the reasons that I gravitated to Lovecraft is that it was sort of like a backwards thing. You know, I remember reading that story in high school and being like, this is, like, fucking alien. And, um, you know, just, like, the idea of isolation, you know, the you get the sense that the universe is this gigantic place and that people are very, very unimportant and that there's things out there right. that are much better survived or much better able to survive it than you. Uh, that really resonates in Alien. And also, I just, it's so fucking cool. Like, all the set pieces, like, you know, before that, movies were, like, space movies were very futuristic and shiny, and Alien right. looked, Alien gave you a world that looked lived in, you know? Right. Everything yeah. was everything was always wet, even though they're in, like, a <laughs> sterile space station. It's just dripping. Yeah. Everybody's sweating all the time. Just wet and sooty. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, well, it looks like a workplace. Like, you know, the walls are, like, not perfectly clean. Like, it, you know, it looks like we've gotten to the point of space travel um, to the point where it's lost its glamour. <laughs> we it's don't like, have to care about it anymore. Yeah, it's like when you get a new car and you're, like, you really take care of it, but uh, then, like, there comes a day where you just hurl an empty water bottle in your backseat and, and, like, that's the beginning <laughs> of the end. <laughs> like, that's the entire universe in Alien. Right. Well, and Theo, you touched upon something that I think is the key to what makes Alien so good and why, and I was thinking about this today, why is it that the original is so successful as a cosmic horror movie where basically every sequel after it has just been an action movie in space? And I think it has to do with just the way movies were made in the 70s where audiences had more patience so they could stretch things out more. So, like, even though Ridley Scott is still making Alien movies now, I don't think he is allowed by the audience's appetite to make something that uses long silences and long, quiet... And just using, like, the sterile, uh, quiet terror of space to his advantage because now all movies... Like, Covenant was great, but it felt more like aliens, where it was more of like an action movie. And like the scary thing was the xenomorph. It wasn't that sense of space, like you said, that cosmic dread of the openness and the possibility of it. I don't think, I don't think directors are allowed to make movies like that much anymore. And so it's it's hard to imagine ever seeing that again. I don't think they're allowed to make movies on the budget that Covenant had. You know. Right. You could you could you can make a slow burn horror movie. Right. And like there's an, lots of them an out indie there. movie. Yeah, yeah. case in point, yeah. A twenty uh, four has been yes. pumping out some really Oh yeah, those guys do great fucking work. Yeah. But and I have also... one on my list too that, that does fit that, but I think you're right, it is. It's like yeah. the blockbuster thing. It's like the second you put those millions in They're making movies on like, you know, twenty percent of the budget that Ridley right. Scott had for um Covenant, if that. And it's a bummer because like Covenant was okay. But, like, that was the first time we really saw CGI xenomorphs, and it was just not the same. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there is something that's lost there. And maybe it didn't bother me as as much in, um, in Prometheus because it wasn't the full xenomorph yet. So I could kind of put mm-hmm. my mind in, like, well, this is a different story, even though that story mm-hmm. was so convoluted and, and, and hard to explain. But I think you're right. There's something about watching that actual guy in a suit crawl out of that little cubby that he was stuck in to come get Ripley. Like that feels it feels just as real as the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. And that's why it's it's held up to this day. So you're right. I think it's it's that budget. It's like, well, if you're going to make this much money, it needs to be high octane action 100 percent of the time or you're going to lose the bulk of the audience that's going to pay us back on this budget. We hit some movies that people definitely uh, know about. Let's see if we can't kind of delve into some ones that people may not have heard of or just kind of passed by on Amazon or Netflix and basically why you, like the royal you, should watch them. Right. Take it, Dave. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the first one I I probably want to talk about requires a little bit of backstory. Uh, when the Blair Witch came out in 1999, it really, like, it changed everything. It created this whole new genre of horror. And there has been a million iterations of it since then. Uh, paranormal activity, you name it. 
Uh, however, there's one that I believe Ed and I randomly found a couple of years ago called Grave Encounters, which combines it's it's a found footage horror film that takes place in an asylum, which sounds like a very like hackneyed setup. Uh, however, Ed and I were both like floored after we watched this movie. It takes the concept, which is, again, a very hack-cliched concept, and completely turns it on its head uh, of a group of documentary television makers, uh, kind of like a Ghost Hunters analog, that wander into an actually haunted place that pulls elements of uh, House of Leaves, where suddenly this institution becomes much bigger on the inside than it does on the outside and it turns into this really crazy horrifying like mind-blowing thought experiment almost and it honestly to this day is one of the best found footage horror movies i've seen and they released a sequel that really it, it it does what a sequel is supposed to do. It ups the ante on the actual film and like it adds to the world. It's one of the first good horror sequels that I've that I've seen. Yeah, I remember we you know, we watched the first one, we were both floored by it, and then the second one came out and we watched it and we're just not digging it at all. And we're like getting like fifteen, <laughs> twenty minutes into it and it's just fucking dumb. And we're just like, all right, the first one was so good. This one has to this one has yeah, to it's deliver. The same guys. Like. Yeah. And and it's I will say it does take a little bit of time to get going, but once it does, it's really cool. And the second one is really, really well done and I really ended up enjoying it. And like I feel like the Grave Encounters movies get passed off because people are so burnt out on found footage. And like I love found footage. You know, I think I, I'll defend Blair Witch project to the death i think that's an incredible movie and i love the first paranormal activity cloverfield is one of my favorite movies just in general but like when when it works found footage is fucking great right when it doesn't work it's pure garbage and i assume that it you guys would know because i haven't seen it is it fairly small budget like fairly independent the first one definitely. Right. Um, the second one looks like they had a bit more cash to play around with because some of the effects are a little bit better, and they don't rely too heavily on CGI. But when it's used, it's used to really good effect. Yeah, it's used really well. And what's awesome is the second one hits like Dan Harmon level meta. <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah. Like in the second one, the first Grave Encounters exists. Like, oh, okay. So it's very self-referential, but in oh a, my but God, in a smart yeah. way, like Rick and Morty. In, uh, yeah, in a right. really cool, interesting way. Like I tell people when they're looking for a horror movie, like Grave Encounters one and two. Like right, that's uh, that's where you start. Yeah, I just I just filled five hours for right. you to go. Well, and it's funny because, and I wonder if people pass over it a lot when they're flipping through movies because I think ironically, I think a lot of people have a tendency to see something that they've never heard of and think, oh, it's small budget, so it might be crap. But I feel like with horror movies, it's kind of an inverse effect where you might see a romantic comedy that no one's ever heard of and it's really terrible because it was just somebody's, you know, shoestring budget film and it doesn't make any sense and it's like a throwaway. Horror is almost the opposite where I feel like if you're really into horror, the cheaper something looks, the more 
intrigued you are by it, the more it's like, because I know when things come out in theaters and they're really big, like Annabelle and all of these movies, my first thought is that looks awful. And it's mostly just because it appeals to everybody. So I just think there's no way it's going to be that good if they're trying to make a horror movie that everyone will like. Whereas this sounds like the opposite, where it's like, oh man, I bet a lot of people really aren't going to dig it. But if you're into meta, bizarre, like twists and turns, that's the way to go. No, you're you're absolutely right. This could have been like The Conjuring, but I feel like they didn't want to make it as generic. Right. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. It's a it's a good pick. Yeah. No, I can't recommend it enough. And it's just it's got really really solid acting in it. Like everybody in it is really good cuz like the the big pitfall with found horror footage uh horror movies is the same thing when, like, suddenly home recording equipment came out. Or, I guess, <laughs> in a much more uh, meta example, when podcasting became a thing. <laughs> anybody, Everybody was like, well, I can do that shit. I got the equipment. <laughs> so what we got is, like, a slew of really terrible horror movies right. that were just with a shaky, awful camera. Right. Uh, this was that done well on a lower budget. That's awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, being a fan of horror movies is, to a certain extent, extent it's it's suffering, because for every oh, yeah. movie like that, there's, like, six that are just, just, just crap, just trite crap. So, when you're looking for something that is new and interesting, sometimes it ends up biting you on the ass. Uh, when you get lucky and you find something like Grave Encounters, it's great, because there was... No advertising whatsoever for it. We just came across it on yeah. like on demand one night and just rolled the dice on it. So another one that I did, and this is going back a couple years, but a movie that I just saw online. It looked interesting, and I ended up watching it, and it blew my socks off. Resolution. Hmm. Oh, so good. Okay, I, I, know I, I don't. I this. don't know this one. I'm excited to hear about this. Oh, okay, so best. this this came out in. 2012 and the guys who did it um the two directors uh it's aaron moorhead and justin benson they're starting to get a little bit more clout now they've done some other stuff like i know they're involved in the vhs films um but it is i don't want to say too much about it because the best way to watch this movie is to go in blind um just the basic setup is about this guy who his best friend is a drug addict, and he's living by himself in this cabin. And he goes to try and get his friend some help, to try and get him to rehab. And when his friend refuses, he tases him and handcuffs him to a radiator. And the idea is that he's going to basically hold him captive for, like, a week so that he can dry out. And at the end of it, if he wants to, he can take him to rehab. And then the movie just slowly descends into fucking madness. <laughs> Like it's yeah. the like I, I, I feel shitty because like I don't want to talk about it too yeah, much. No, you really can't talk about yeah. it that much without giving anything away. Look, look at it this way. <clears throat> Me, my now fiance, uh, my friend Justin, who's actually been on this podcast and his then girlfriend watched Resolution randomly one night. And when it ended, we were all like, we know that was good. Like, it was definitely good, but, like, I have a million questions. And we all went to bed, and when I, like, I bolted awake at, I think, like, 8 in the morning, 
and woke up Jenna and was like, holy shit, I got it. I got it. And then I ran and woke up Justin and his girlfriend and, like, told them what I figured out. And, and like, our... It, it was such a crazy moment. It, it's like solving a riddle all of a sudden. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's like, of course that's the answer, and that is absolutely genius. Yeah, I watched right. it, and like I, it ended. I'm like, okay, I liked that. That was a good movie. <laughs> but why? <laughs> I don't get it, but the pieces are there. So then the next day, I slept on it. Then the next day, I watched it again, and I had like a note pad and a pen with me and i would watch like 10 minutes oh, wow. and i would pause and i'd write shit down and finally i had this eureka moment where it's like oh fuck i get it i get what's happening here and that's when i became terrified yeah no we're, we're gonna but believe you me we're gonna talk about that when we're done recording it's, yeah uh, no well i want and i want to watch it too because well and is it a standalone thing? It's not something that has been sequeled. Yeah, it's or, not. It's not okay. a franchise thing. It's not a, you know, like remake. This is probably the single most interesting and intelligent horror movie I have seen in my life. Yeah, wow. they released a sequel called Resolutions, but it's much more actiony. It's like a hard right turn. <laughs> is it resolutions with a z and then all of a sudden it's just a, a standard zombie flick where the main yeah, characters it's, no are... it's like the alien aliens like right. one is like very cerebral and quiet and the other is like a drop your dick on it's the like, table kind of action what movie. if there was a whole bunch of them <laughs> <laughs> what if everything had resolution <laughs> yeah but like but if you're looking for like a movie you can really sink your teeth into and something that's going to stick with you it, check out resolutions Awesome. Resolution. Yeah. Just one. Resolution. Just the one. Just the one. Don't watch the with sequel. An, it's terrible. <laughs> with a, with yeah. an S, not a Z. If you're watching the Z, it's the sequel. Yeah, Don't I mean, if you're one. in for an action movie, watch Resolutions. But if you're looking for a really, really smart horror movie, Revol- uh, oh, God. We're saying, <laughs> they, had, they need a less clunky title. Mistake one. <laughs> um, yeah, but, like, that that's, that's an example of just, like, rolling the dice on something on demand and lucking out yeah um well and i think you guys um sort of touched on something that is interesting about horror movies i know for me i love watching good horror movies when i'm alone but i also hate getting burned by crap so i find myself being less adventurous when i'm alone i'm like well i'll watch the ones that i know i like but you guys had said you were watching it sort of, or, you know, Dave, you had said you had watched it with a group and just thought, oh, we'll just throw this on. I feel like it's, those are great cir- circumstances where you sort of just take a risk because, you know, well, if it's terrible, we can just talk through the second act of it. And if it's great, then we get to all enjoy this at the same time. Yeah, that usually applies to most people. And <laughs> I know Ed and I have spoken about this before, but I am always... Uh, one might say compulsively looking for uh, good horror movies. So as a result of that, I would say I will sift through about 20 movies and 19 of them will be utter garbage. Right. Um, like, Ed, you've been with me when I've rolled those dice. When I've been like, this could be interesting. And we, it, it ends and Ed will turn to me and be like, I hate you. Like, that was yeah. awful. Do, do you remember can, the one where it was the guys who, like, they found, like, the machine that turned them into ghosts? Yeah, Ghost Machine. That movie that was, that was fucking awful. Awful. <laughs> It was so bad. Yeah, that was one of the, the worst movies I've ever seen. Thing. Well, and, and they and, tried so hard. Yeah, and Dave, you and I tried to watch that one that we thought, oh, it looks like it's about Wendigo. We talked about Wendigo. That'll be great. 
Yeah. That might be that might be the single worst movie I've ever seen. (laughs) That definitely was not the worst movie I've ever seen, but that whole (laughs) ninety-eight minute movie should have been a six minute YouTube short. Yeah. Like yeah, it had uh, yeah. all the substance of the original Lights Out, but needed nothing else to be said about it. And they thought, oh, let's just make a story about two brothers who don't like each other. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be horrifying. Yeah, yeah. And at the end, like a guy who kind of read part of the Wikipedia page about Wendigos will show up. Right. Yeah, um, so there is a lot of crap, but I think that's part of why we're doing this list for people so that they don't have to yeah, they don't have to so suffer the same when you thing. Find a good one though. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, cool. So, I'll go. Uh, I've been trying to speaking of what we're talking about trying to dive more into some lower budget stuff cuz I I really feel like we're in the middle of a huge horror renaissance right now where it's not just a resurgence of good horror, but sort of a redefinition of what horror means and what it can be. And one that I think that fits the, the bill really well that I watched recently was A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, I think you can still watch it on, I think you can rent it on Amazon. I'm pretty sure that's what I did. Uh, it was directed by sort of an upcoming director, Anna Lily Emirpour. She also did a movie last year called The Bad Batch that has Khal Drogo in it. I haven't seen it yet, but it looks, it looks nutty. But what drew me first to A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night was the fact that it's all in black and white, which I'm a big sucker for. And I'll talk about another older movie on my list, too, um, that I love the black and white of. But it was shot more recently. It's just I think it was like 2014 movie. But it has all of the integrity, I think, of a really classic black and white horror movie, but with updated storytelling so it has that sort of richness of dracula but with the sort of fucks with your head twists on classic gender roles and classic political things i mean it has all of these layers to it but just wrapped up into this really nice horror movie and the way that the director has described it is that it's a it's an iranian vampire spaghetti western Because it's about this Iranian girl who's a vampire. Um, No secret. You find that out pretty much immediately. But she walks around with like a traditional uh, Muslim headdress. And she rides a skateboard at one point. And it's just this like weird art piece almost. Which I think we're getting more of in horror. That is kind of what I liked about Alien. Alien feels like this portrait of dread. And with this movie... It felt a lot like it was, it could almost be a music video where the storytelling happens better when there isn't dialogue and there is dialogue, but it's, it's sort of this quasi romance between this vampire and this guy, but it's also really brutal, really bloody, but it kind of builds the tension from those long silences and just this sort of this stark landscape of industrial kind of broken down town and where it just feels dangerous anyway. Yeah. And there are scenes in it that are just these slow burns where don't watch it. If you're tired, the first time I watched it, I was, and I had to keep rewinding <laughs> it. Cause it's like sort of a lullaby in that way. But if you're the kind of person that goes into a horror movie, not just saying like, I want to feel terrified, but I want to feel uneasy and uncomfortable with this, with a situation that feels alien to me, but almost feels so grounded in reality that it could actually happen. That's this movie. Like it's so, 
it, it, I appreciated the fact that I needed to watch it twice to know that I really, really liked it. Because the first yeah, time I thought that was really cool, but kind of like you guys said about Resolution, I felt like I needed to think about it, about what I liked about it. And there's no grand mystery, but it's one of those things where I think it has replay value because you see a little bit more in it every time you watch it, which you yeah. can't say about a lot of horror movies. Yeah, so I would definitely recommend uh, that one to you guys and to anybody. It's just a very... It's just a very different take on horror that I don't think people could have done when we were little. Because when we were little, everything was slasher films and jump scares. And they were fun, but I didn't feel like they had any substance for a long time. And now we're getting a lot of movies. And I don't want to say any names because I don't want to take anything off people's lists that they might mention. But we're getting a lot more movies that feel meaningful. Like, holy shit, that was like reading a great novel as opposed to watching a, you know, a spooky film. Yeah. I've always gravitated more towards that one, those kinds too. I mean, I guess since I wasn't allowed to watch the slashers when I was younger, by the time like I was fourteen, fifteen, and watching shit on my own, I just didn't really have the interest. Right, right. I it's mean, like so, you outgrew it without even needing to see them. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's some. Like I, I, I absolutely adore Halloween, uh, the original Halloween, and you know, like all the the Freddy Krueger movies. They're you know they're they're okay. I, I enjoy them, but they're not like staples of like my horror favorites right Right. freddy krueger really fucked me up because i the same is true now i have no problem with really intense violence i have no problem with really intense horror i take i'm a little more sensitive to gore and torture um and he has those sensitive torture nipples (laughs) <laughs> you know first uh first nightmare on elm street was fine for me but then it, it got to that one that was like took place in the mental asylum um like my sister and yeah. i when we were younger watched like three or four in a row and like it was just disgusting and, and like i like honestly that warped me more than like the actual concept of a monster living in your dream <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, and I think uh, we did grow up with a lot of those things where people who don't or say they don't like horror now, I think, got burned by a lot of movies like that because they might actually really dig a different kind of horror movie. But if they've only been exposed to Jason, like slamming a, a sleeping bag against the tree until the person dies and think that's really gross and doesn't mean anything and who cares, then they would get turned off. But yeah, I think all of us here would agree that that's not necessarily the pinnacle of horror movies. So people should give some of these other ones a better, a better shot. Speaking of which, uh, I'm going to bring up a movie that I found that I remember I, I showed it to you guys, like a, a kid that made like the spaghetti, uh, like the pasta picture in kindergarten and was like really excited about. Because uh, I've noticed that when you find a really good horror movie, you like you somehow you get nervous showing it to your friend. It, it feels like somehow you had a hand in making it, which is ridiculous. Uh, but I'm talking about the autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah. And it was so, a really good pasta picture that you made. <laughs> yeah, I you know. Made sh- I, you made the shit out of that macaroni. <laughs> I know. I had to waste a lot of food, but it, <laughs> it made a pretty good 120-minute movie. But, yeah, definitely. And that, so that one, yeah, we watched that together, and it was just so simple in its 
in its like basic storyline and that allowed the details to be really all over the place and like great, a great puzzle piece kind of thing. Like they simplified small cast, one basic idea, corpse comes into a morgue and then they just allowed that to branch off into all these other things. It was like so brilliantly written. Yeah, I, I often tell people it asks me about that movie. It's like a bottle episode on a sitcom, but if that bottle episode like just went to hell, <laughs> like if like everything nightmarish happened. And you know, the basic setup of the movie is that there are two morticians uh in a smaller southern town and the movie kicks off with the police finding a body in a basement. And not just the police. The guy who plays the sheriff is the dude who played Roose Bolton on Game of Thrones. Yeah, right. so that guy. So an already uh, terrifying man to look at. <laughs> yeah, he brings it to the morgue, and the woman is basically very heavy. There's no exterior markings whatsoever. However, her insides are like ruin like her her lungs have been burned very badly she has multiple stab wounds on her organs her tongue has been cut out her wrists and her ankles are broken however again she has like no soft tissue damage no like exterior bruising of any kind so it creates an immediate mystery that just like unravels and gets crazier and crazier and crazier and there's a real strong supernatural element to it that just like it does exactly what a horror movie is supposed to do. Horror movies and westerns are similar in that like the good ones have kind of a slow build that ramp up and up and up and up and up to like this big final climax. Right. Um, and the autopsy of Jane Doe does it so well. And that that's the, if you're wondering who directed it, it's the guy who made Troll Hunter. Which, if you haven't seen, is another movie that Ed and Troll I... Hunter is fucking great. Yeah, Ed and I had a good long laugh at the name and the cover image of Troll Hunter, <laughs> and then we watched it literally to make fun of it, and we were just silent the whole time. And that's, and that's stop a f- raving about it when it's done. And that's a foreign film, right? It's like Norwegian? Uh, yeah. yeah, Polish, I think. Polish, okay, yeah. I've been, I started that one night and I was getting sleepy reading the subtitles and I thought I need to give this its due because I know it's heralded as this really amazing movie. Yeah, it's that, really cool. That guy made the autopsy of Jane Doe. That's something, well, so. that, something that I loved about autopsy of Jane Doe and I'm not sure exactly like why I honed in on this in particular, but it almost felt like a video game and that you got a very good sense of the setting and how it worked geographically so the entire movie is set in the basement of this morgue and you you get a good sense of where all the rooms are positioned uh how the hallway works the hallway kind of goes in like a circle and um like circles around and once once it starts getting going and things start happening you get a good sense of where the the where the um the guys are and everything else that is out there where it's waiting for them and i thought that was really interesting yeah and you hit the nail on the head saying it's like a video game because my thought watching it was it felt so similar to the first time i ever played resident (laughs) evil one where you know that you can only advance by digging deeper into the thing you don't want to see so at every turn it felt for me more interactive than a lot of horror movies it felt very much like oh i I want them to 
cut open that next piece or like go into the next layer of her body and find whatever. But you feel so uncomfortable knowing that the only way through to the other side is just going to get worse and worse. That like crescendo that Dave was talking about where there's not going to be a moment of pause later on. It's only going to build and get more just disturbing and more horrifying the further in you go. Oh, yeah. No, that that movie was... Oh, it was so good. I, I, now I want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, that that movie was better than it had any right to be. Theo, you got one for us? I do. So here's one. Um, going back to what I was saying about not being able to watch horror movies when I was a kid. Uh, when I got to high school, I sort of had this renaissance where I started watching not just horror movies, but movies religiously and found all sorts of stuff movies. that... Religious movies, um, <laughs> mostly Veggie Tales, you know things things that talk about the Bible, but like in a fun way. Yeah, can we go through one conversation without you bringing up your religion, Ed? <laughs> can we go through one conversation without bringing up Veggie Tales? <laughs> the answer no. is no. Anyways, so I started just kind of like watching movies like compulsively, and I watched a lot of crap, but I watched a lot of good ones, and I always remember the movie that like i kind of had that moment like this is a horror movie and this is for me Uh, this is what i like and that movie is jacob's ladder which is you told me about this but i haven't seen it that's the thing is that this movie is fucking incredible and not a lot of people know about it like i think this movie should be talked about in the way that the shining and the exorcist are talked about Really? Like, wow. It's it's I think it's that good. That's so old accusation. <laughs> yeah, so, set it up for us. <laughs> no, seriously. So Jacob's Ladder came out in nineteen ninety and uh the the main actor in it is actually Tim Robbins. So well. it's not like he was some unknown guy at the time. And it, the it's the story is very scattershot. It's not linear at all. And it's a story about this guy named Jacob Singer, who was he was a soldier in the Vietnam War. And he had a family, and he something happened to him in the war, and he came back, and uh, he's now living with this woman. He's working as um, um, a postman, and he starts having visions of demons. And the thing is that these aren't just kind of like, you know, scary monsters with wings and horns. Uh, the demons are played by people with, like, physical deformities. Oh, so, so that's why people didn't like it, because it's insensitive to, to the handicapped. Yeah. <laughs> Did he also see a woman voting? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fuck the, you, it's not insensitive. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, I will say this, like, this movie will never ever be remade for that reason. Right. But, like, and it's not specifically like, look, a handicapped person, ew. They're specifically <laughs> playing demons, and there's still I'm a lot of, like, I'm going to soundbite that. Practical. <laughs> There's a lot of practical effects that go with it. So, like, there's there's a moment where he's, like, on a subway, and there's this homeless man sleeping, and he can see a tail sticking out the back of his jacket. And um, shit. there's another scene where he's, like, speaking to a nurse, and her hat falls off, and she has a horn. But it's not just, like, a singular horn, like, on, on a, a goat. It's, like, bone, like, fractured bone sticking out of her head. And these, uh, one of the more like famous images of it is you get a lot of scenes of these people shaking their head super fast, like inhumanly fast. And they did that by, um, like just 
like speeding up or like lowering the shutter speed on the camera so it creates this like really inhuman effect and he starts you never really know whether he's going crazy whether he died in vietnam and he's actually in hell um what's happening but the the movie is it's it's so good and it it was one of the main inspirations for silent hill and i think if you're familiar with silent hill and you watch this movie you will instantly recognize things from it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, wow. But just I totally like, want to watch that now. And it does – be because it's a nonlinear story, um, I feel like movies like that can be hard to keep up with. This movie is not. Like it does a great job of like keeping a steady pace um, and the fact that it's very vague about how the timeline plays, like whether – all the things with his family happened before Vietnam, whether it's after Vietnam, whether some things are dreams or not really happening at all, just adds to the story. It is what makes it so good as well is that it is just filled with religious imagery and not just, you know, Christian, but like um, Hindu. It the Like the idea of chakras is very important to it. And like this is just a movie where every second of it puts you on edge and makes you feel uneasy and it is just legitimately terrifying and there's this scene in it that where he is strapped on a gurney and he's being led through what looks like an abandoned warehouse by these doctors and he's asking like he's like freaking out he's like what's going on what's happening and it's this doctor who just very plainly states you were killed you are in hell don't you remember and Hmm. there's a scene of this this nurse it's a male nurse with no eyes and just like blank skin where his eyes should be shoving a syringe through his head wow oh yeah you and know it's funny i literally just scrolled past an image of that on uh on google because i'm looking up like the, cr- the prosthetics like you were saying mm-hmm. and some of this looks genuinely like nightmare fodder <laughs> So the the demons, the the director specifically designed them off people. There was this like um, hormone drug that was used in the 80s in Britain. Uh, It's thamylide, something like that. But like children that were born from mothers that were taking the drug came out super fucked up, like without limbs and just like crazy. um, This wasn't just in the UK. This also – ways of this happened in the u.s too it was supposed to be it was supposed to be a medicine that was supposed to help pregnant women i believe lose weight uh during the mm-hmm. pregnancy like keep their weight down a bit and it actually caused horrible deformities in their children when they were born oh my god like, so we yeah, should just no make limbs, a movie no about eyes, that that's the like worst that. thing i've ever heard <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's mm. Real bad stuff. The thalidomide is what it's called. Thalidomide. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, um, it's still used today, but I think it's used like more, much more sparingly and more, <laughs> much more safely. Wow. But yeah, it's uh, those subjected to thalidomide while in the womb experience limb deficiencies in a way that the limb, the long limbs, either were not developed or presented themselves as stumps. Um, other effects included deformed eyes and hearts. Uh, deformed elementary and urinary tracts, blindness and deafness. So that was the inspiration for the monsters in the movie. And they are just not, not scary. You don't see them and go, ah, monster, but they just, it it just, it sits with you, you know, and just, just ruins your day. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally going to watch that. Also, limb deficiency is really beating around the bush of saying no arm or leg. And got, and got I'm no deficient arms. in my limbs. I only have two. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, looking at some of this, uh, like the characters, the demon characters, it almost reminds me of um, of the creature with no eyes in Pan's Labyrinth that is yeah. just oh, pure nightmare yeah, fuel. Yeah, yep. It's just, I think just also just like skin, just seeing like a creature that has human skin, but it's just different in a way is just so, it just makes your skin crawl. So that's mm. awesome. So Jacob's Ladder, good, good uh, yeah. suggestion. I know I'll watch it. Yeah. Awesome. Jenna will not watch that with me. <laughs> she most certainly will not. Cool. So uh, one that I got that I know, or I think, I think both of you guys have seen. I know Dave, you've seen it. Um, is as above, so below. Oh, I have. I watched it God. with you, actually. Damn, oh, yeah, you watched it. At, yeah, you watched it at our place. Um, yeah, if you haven't gathered for me with like the heaven and hell stuff, plus spelunking, plus Hollow Earth, like, <laughs> not saying I believe in Hollow Earth, but just like the concept of it, I am all about that movie. <laughs> that's that's the jam. Um, but that movie was so good, and it was another one where I didn't have low expectations because David already said it was really good, so I knew it was going to be a good film. I don't think. I was ready for how much it was going to stick with me because what's cool about it is it's the, the basic premise is a group of young explorers going into the catacombs below Paris and essentially encounter hell. And yeah, it's a, uh, it's a social, social anthropologist and archaeologist looking for the philosopher's stone. Right. Which, which is, is supposed yeah. to be like the end all be all of alchemy. It's supposed to grant immortal life. And in her quest, she gathers a group of people to go into the catacombs, which is where she thinks they might be, and they encounter hell. Right. So it's like Indiana Jones-level adventure meets just psychological terror on its on its highest rung. And what was cool about it was it felt like going through the world's best haunted house. Because I love going yeah. through haunted houses, but I never feel like they do much other than just sort of mildly amuse me. This one, because it was a lower budget movie and there isn't some scene where a 30 foot Satan is like destroying things. <laughs> it's very quiet in on that level. It like it doesn't it just it, it does more with sort of cloaks and low burning flames than most movies can do with with 200 million dollars. And for that, it felt real. It felt like I was walking through the most effective haunted house anyone has ever made. And it's that crescendo thing again, like Jane Doe, where the deeper they go in on this quest, the more just completely uncomfortable and unrestful you get watching it, which is so effective all the way up to the very end. And that's another found footage horror movie. Yeah. And what those do really, really, really well, there's a um, discussion in the video game world about first-person shooters versus third-person shooters, where you develop more of a character bond in a third-person shooter. You feel more in the shoes of a first-person shooter, which is basically first-person view. You, at times, feel like you're them, like you're the character in that Hmm. movie or that video game. And what As Above, So Below does really, really well is... Once they venture into hell, there are these long corridor shots which 
darkened corridors already make people pretty nervous as it is. You, you really, they build tension in such a good way, and they do so much with so fucking little in that movie. Yeah, it's it's really, it's one of those things where I'm so grateful for the Blair Witch because I didn't like it when it came out. It didn't scare me, and to this day, I think it's just an okay movie, but it really opened the door for these movies that feel like there's an extra dimension that could not that people just weren't thinking of for the longest time and with this it's like the budget is just high enough so that it doesn't feel like your friends did it on like a vhs camcorder but it's low budget enough that it has to stand on the story completely it wasn't high budget enough that like a guy in a suit was like put kevin hart in it (laughs) (laughs) something that i really appreciated about that movie uh, was that Kevin Hart, wasn't it? <laughs> but also, was that, like, it, it's very clearly inspired by, like, they go into hell and it's inspired by Dante's Inferno. Like, there's actually, the moment they realize what's happening is because they find etched on, like, a, a viaduct, abandon all hope ye who enter here. Yeah. Which is a really yeah. cool moment because, like, all this weird shit's happening. Then they see that and they're like, oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't beat you over the head with religious symbolism. No, no, it doesn't. It yeah. really doesn't. And like, if you know, if you know um, Inferno, it it you know, it helps, but you don't have to going in. And it, like, I, it, it's it's nice when things are like inspired and you realize what's happening. But like, I also feel like you shouldn't have to do homework to enjoy a movie. Sometimes, you know. Oh yeah, no. See, if you, I went into this with more of a knowledge about the Philosopher's Stone and alchemy. And that made it cooler, but I also know lots of people who went in totally blind and just loved this movie. Yeah. And there is something rewarding about those more subtle nods that Theo talked about with the with the Dante reference. Whenever a horror movie does that and you sort of know what it is on its surface, but it, but these little sort of like whistles go off in your head like, oh, I know this, this is it lends like a, a level of credibility to it, but not in a cheesy way. Cause you know, some like action movies can really beat you over the head with like, you know, th- I think about um, the Da Vinci code where it's like, Oh my God, we get it. Everything in the Bible and history is all connected. This is just like, it just gives you just enough to be like, I feel familiar with this. It feels ancient, but not in a really trite way. No, I, that, yeah. Good call. I really like that one. Yeah. It's um, a good movie. One of the last ones I'm going to jump on is a movie that I found randomly on Netflix that I only watched because I enjoyed the cover art, and that movie is called The Shrine. Oh, which, that one's dope. Yeah, that that like it was it was one of my favorite random finds. Aspects of it feel very what would you say, Ed? Lovecraftian, like basically a a group. less Lovecraftian, more gothic horror like more more like algernon blackwood yeah Mm. yeah yeah you're you're right about that it's like cosmic horror to an extent but not with the the weirdness of lovecraft it has a more traditional feel to it which isn't to say it's you know it's not taking anything away from it because the movie is fantastic but Uh, yeah i would almost like say it's like a one-off story by laird baron almost yes like. yes it has if you're familiar with laird baron uh, who's a, a contemporary horror author that's that's basically the kind of thing that would he would do yeah it's basically a 
a group of journalists go to Poland where a couple of people have gone First missing. mistake. What's up? That's, that was their first mistake. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, because I, why? I, I didn't realize you wanted to take a race. <laughs> yeah, you really wanted to put your stake in the ground against the poles. <laughs> I mean, put my but, pole in the ground. Oh, all uh, right. That's it. Know. That's all for got, this week. I got Thank you yet. so much for listening. <laughs> um, but they, they go to Poland to uh, investigate a a couple of tourists who have gone missing in this one very remote town in Poland. And when they get there, they find a statue in the woods completely enshrouded in fog and mist. And they encounter it, and it's a terrifying-looking statue. It, like, kind of moves a little bit, but, like, off-camera in, like, a very not-corny way. And it just completely goes sideways from there, not even with the goddamn statue, but, like, what happens to them and the villagers of that small rural Polish town. Uh, It just, it ramps up and up and up and up and up and just gets really big and crazy very quickly. It feels very much like the opening act of Resident Evil 4. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, yeah I, no, that's that's a really good movie. That one's like a slow burn, too. It like, is a slow burn. You like, like you the characters. Do, you really do like the characters. One of the, 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 the main actor in is the kid who played Iceman in the X-Men movies. Shaw, I want to say Sean Astin, but that's not... That's <laughs> no, not, not Rudy. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's Sam White. <laughs> certainly not him. <laughs> um, but yeah, fucking Iceman. But, Sean Iceman. Yeah, that I think that's a good name. Sean Iceman Astin. Um <laughs> But you don't really get a good handle of what's going on in the film, what's really going on, until you're well into it. Yeah. But, like, I, I, they do a good job of – you don't really know where it's going, but it's not all over the place. Like, a lot of movies, it's clear that, like, when they wrote it, the, the, the writers had a very clear conclusion but didn't know how to get there. Right. And are just kind of making it up as they go along. This film in particular does a good job of, like – that you know that the writers had everything planned out from the beginning right and it really works for them <laughs> yeah they made outlines and shit <laughs> <laughs> what's well, kind of going back to one that we discussed before the autopsy of jane doe that's another one too where when it resolves itself and you know what the deal is or or what the big not reveal Wait, can you is. say that again like jerry seinfeld <laughs> what's the deal with this body <laughs> Um, <laughs> when you. you find it out, it's like there were enough clues to figure out on your own. But if viewers are watching it, it's not this ridiculous out of left field. It's not a twist, but it has the same kind of thing where it takes a while for you to go, oh, I get what the situation is. But it it feels very it's it lines up perfectly with what they set up. And that's, I think, way harder than people realize for a storyteller to do, especially given when you see how many movies do such a terrible freaking job of it so yeah, it's like so that one satisfying you guys, when it works the one you guys watched with the wendigo you know it sounds like that was the main complaint you guys had about it was like they knew where it was going but everything else was just kind of like meandering yeah, yeah. Like we just have to fill out a hundred pages before the climax of the movie <laughs> yeah and i think that was the most disappointing part about it is there were parts of it that i enjoyed and i felt like when this gets to the climax it's going to be really interesting how they tie together all these disparate parts and they just didn't it just kind of ended (laughs) yeah yeah 
Cool. So, so that one, uh, that was the shrine, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Well, well, I hope someone's been writing this down because we should <laughs> probably go over the list again right before we uh, sign off. Yeah, we'll go over <laughs> yeah. the list and we'll post a, a list of all of them um, on, on our website as well after we finish talking. Cool, cool. Uh, okay. Theo, do you have maybe, maybe just one more each and then, and then we'll bring this baby home? Yeah, that sounds good. So I would like to talk about a film called In the Mouth of Madness by John Carpenter. Very nice. Please continue. (laughs) John Carpenter is hands down one of my favorite directors. I think the man's a goddamn genius. Um, And, you know, people know him because of Halloween. Uh, A lot of his non-horror stuff, you know, like Big Trouble in Little China and – God, what else? Um, well, I actually Escape had from New York. Yeah, and I actually had the thing on my list, but that's a pretty high-profile movie. But it's just one of my all-time favorite horror movies. Oh, me too. So perfect, thing, start yeah. to finish. The th- the thing is, in my opinion, a perfect movie. Like, yeah, there's is. nothing I would change about it. It is amazing the way it is. I fucking love it. Yeah, it's got a so, Wilford Brimley monster. I mean, that what? And what you guys more are talking about the remake, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just assume that every movie we've brought up, it's we're talking about the subpar remake. Those are our favorites. Yeah, because that that original that was garbage. <laughs> and this is your words, not mine. Right. Yes. Yeah, so the thing is actually the first in what John Carpenter calls his Apocalypse trilogy, which is three movies that basically aren't necessarily the end of the world, but about the beginning of the end of the world. So the first one is The Thing and is the most famous and, frankly, is the best. Um, The second one is called Prince of Darkness. And when – I just watched that one recently. And it's funny because I watched – a couple days before, I watched a movie called The Void – (laughs) <laughs> and oh no, go. are we doing this? Here we fucking go. <laughs> now I watched The Void because Dave recommended it to me and said it was great. And to his defense, a lot of people are saying that movie is great. And I watched it and I hated it. I hated every second of it. I thought yeah, Ed got it super was. drunk at three in the morning and angrily posted on Facebook about it. No, I wasn't drunk. I was just awake I and angry. Don't believe you. He was perfectly lucid and angry with you. I yes, I was perfectly lucid and angry with you. I don't have to be drunk to be mad. Yeah, but you sundown. No, I don't. Shut up. <laughs> don't fucking judge me. Anyways. I thought that movie was utter garbage. Nobody should watch it because it sucks. <laughs> but I put on Prince of Darkness um, a couple of days later and I realized, oh, they just ripped off Prince of Darkness like completely and fucked it up. So if you're going to watch The Void, watch Prince of Darkness instead. It's cool. <laughs> Anyways, and I'm going to say watch both because, uh, you know, The Void is not going to win any awards, but... Uh, a lot, lot, lot of critics like it, and I thought it was a neat movie. <laughs> and critics are always right. They are always right. <laughs> Look at what they're doing to the Emoji movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got, I got way off track here. Yeah, okay, you were talking about the, Mouth of Madness. Yeah, the third movie in the Apocalypse trilogy came out in 94, and it's called In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, it's starring Sam Neill, and what I love about this movie goes back to what I was saying about Alien earlier – about there being no real good Lovecraft movies, but good Lovecraft-inspired movies. This movie is a love letter to H.P. Lovecraft. And it doesn't do... It doesn't mention any of Lovecraft's stuff by name, but it's all referencing something. 
So, like, even the the title of it, In the Mouth right. of Madness, is a play on At the Mountains of Madness. So the idea is that Sam Neill is an insurance agent, and there's this writer named Sutter Kane who is a super popular horror writer, and he disappears. And the publishers that he works for think that it's like a publicity stunt, so they want Sam Neill to track him down and find him so they don't have to pay insurance on you know pay life insurance which is a super mundane like setup for a really good horror movie but it's all about him sam neill's character like tracking down this writer and finding him in like this quiet new england town because it's lovecraft and um <laughs> it just like couldn't put, take place in sunny california which just wouldn't have the same vibe they should yeah. have called the movie because it's lovecraft <laughs> <laughs> but like Sam Neill in the 90s, you know, with this and Event Horizon, like, he he had a moment where he was, like, a big deal in horror. Yeah. And I feel like if you dug Event Horizon, you really dig In the Mouth of Madness because there's, of all, like, the Lovecraftian-style movies, like, I feel like people think of Lovecraft's writing and it's just you make something spooky and you throw in some tentacles and right. boom, Lovecraft. Yeah, but too, no, too many eyes and mouths and tentacles, and it's like, yeah, yeah, there you go. That's the formula. Yeah, but what everything that Lovecraft wrote, what it boils down to is that you are completely and utterly alone, and nothing in the universe matters, and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no God. Everything else in the universe is just horrifying. Right, and if Sam Neill and, doesn't matter, then we definitely don't matter. Yeah, <laughs> so this movie really captures Lovecraft's ideas more than any other, I think. That's awesome. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I like yeah. that. And don't get me wrong, it's not as good as The Thing, but, like, nothing's as good as The Thing. Right. Yeah. And is it something, do you know if that's something that can be streamed anywhere? I don't think I'm, it's on Netflix right now. I think I it's on Amazon Prime. positive it's on Amazon. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I want to check yeah. that out ASAP. Also, uh, Vigo the Carpathian is in it, too. What? I thought yeah. he wasn't even a real person. Like, I just assumed no. they just found some dude living on the streets in New York and were like, hey, <laughs> you're the worst looking person I've ever seen. Do you want to grunt they out a few lines? executed him as soon as it was over. <laughs> <laughs> That's nah, amazing. He's in it. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. Very fantastic. cool. Awesome. So for my last one, I'm going to do one. I'm going to do one that is a little probably higher profile. Um... But I think pe- more people have seen the American remake than, than the original, and that's Let the Right One In. So yeah. partly because it, it's probably my second favorite horror movie right after Alien for completely different reasons. And it's one of the best horror books that I've ever read. And the movie is very, aside from not going into as much detail, it's very, very... Uh, loyal to the to the actual text of the book, um, it was the book was written by a Swedish author named John Ajvidi Linquist. I'm not really sure how to say his middle name, um, and it's it's amazingly good at two things simultaneously. One, it it being very sort of sweet and hopeful, and the other just having it be absolutely gross and horrifying. And those things work so well together. And I don't, I've watched it multiple times and I don't understand how it does the same thing at once. It's similar to A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It's sort of a quasi vampire romance, 
but in the most brutal and sort of uh, stark, hopeless way you can imagine. So it has this sort of, it like pulls at your heartstrings, but at the same time, it just not only makes you fear sort of the horror that happens in it, but just like the scenery, this downtrodden, poor Eastern European city that has no hope and it just feels run down. It almost feels like a documentary about real horror and devastation in certain parts of the world. But the glimmer of hope that you get is from a creature of the night. So it just it just does so many things that I've never seen other movies try to do. It just flips the script on a lot of different kind of things. Yeah. No, that movie was really groundbreaking. Um, it pretty, pretty much you can talk to any like film buff, you know, uh, any film person, and they'll, they'll talk you off about that movie. But, you know, there's... <sighs> You can't be into the kind of things that the three of us are into easily, like because we all have this <clears throat> real like thirst for this uh, for spooky things, basically. However, research often destroys these things that we love so much. But that's part of the reason why I think we all love horror films so much because it, you know, there are a million factual scientific things that can blow apart a lot of the theories that we talk about but there's something great about horror movies where you get to suspend your disbelief and just watch it as if it was actually happening i I think it's going to continue to be a medium that we all love and lots of people love for a long 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 time Yeah. yeah and you know something you said earlier about like when you find a good horror movie and you feel like the sense of personal pride about it, that's that's absolutely true. Because with with horror movies, there's this sense of you're almost like collecting them. Because I love horror movies, but like I'm still always on the lookout. It's like I'm on the lookout for that rare comic issue. You know, it's I'm on the lookout for the the movie that really scares me. And yeah. because I watch so many, you know, you get kind of jaded and things stop affecting you. So, like, you can appreciate something like something like um, It Follows, which yeah. I think is a beautiful, incredible movie. But, like, I didn't lose any sleep over it. Right. Um, I lost a little sleep. Little <laughs> well, that's also because you're very sexually promiscuous. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> when, so you, <laughs> when you find one that's like that's really scary, it's it's special. Yeah, oh, and yeah. and kind of going into that music idea, I think, and maybe this is you know just me because of how much I like horror movies. I'm sure you guys would agree, but I feel like objectively, horror movies have better replay value than a lot of other kinds of movies, which also makes it feel like an album. It feels like this is something I'm going to carry with me throughout my life, and I'm going to watch it at different times, and it's going to mean different things to me. Whereas, like a comedy is never going to be. There, you're going to laugh your ass off the second time if it's really good, but it's never going to be as, like, laugh your pants off funny as it was. It's, only, it's, got, it's got, like, a half-life to it. I don't think horror movies do that. I think they age better, and that's yeah. why they feel personal. They feel like this is my favorite record, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So before we sign off, I just want to know... If it's not already on your list for you guys, as quick as you can think of it, what's the movie that or movie moment that just scared you more than any other and has never been topped? If you haven't already mentioned that movie. 
Ooh, um, let me think. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big question to ask <laughs> right at the end. Yeah. Well, while you guys um, think, so think about hey, what it. Do you guys and I, think the reason love I, is? What's that? <laughs> what do you guys think love is? Give it to me <laughs> in 20 words. Because that's really what frightens me. Um, well, I just asked because I know for me, even though I have horror movies that I like more than it, I will. I don't think I'll ever be as existentially frightened as I was the first time at 13 or 14 that I saw Signs. Because, and I know we've oh talked about God, this before, yeah. um, it's definitely a big movie in our group that we've rewatched together. And But for me, there's basically five moments in that that are scary. And the rest of it is almost veering on comedy because of how many great one-liners there are. But in those moments that they show you just enough, that movie more than any other made my body kind of like start to shake and I didn't stop until well after I like woke up the next day. And I don't... I don't think I've ever recaptured that from a film. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Answer. You have an answer. I'm probably not going to be able to give you one off the top of my head. Um. Oh God, I want to. Th- I'm trying to. Th- uh, okay. Okay. And I might get some crap from this, but it worked on me. The very ending of Paranormal Activity. Okay. Ooh, I yeah. C- no, yeah. I can see that. One. The very end when they're talking about getting out of the house and they go to sleep for the last time and. Um, Kate wanders downstairs and she screams and Micah runs down you just hear shouting and then gets quiet then his body just flies at the camera and you hear the footsteps come up the stairs and there she is that that terrifies me that scene was done so well and I mean that movie like yeah the the franchise got ran into the grounds but people forget that the good one was fucking good and really groundbreaking at the time like that is a movie that really takes advantage of the found footage setting and does the best with it yeah. Like, and it's become cl- so cliche now, but, you know, I, I, I think it's in particular that one and Cloverfield are the ones that really brought that back to the forefront of pop culture. Definitely. Yeah, both of those feel so real, even though it's so off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so and mine, do so much I'm, I'm with so say, little. Yeah. I'm going to say Homeward Bound when <laughs> Champ accidentally <laughs> falls in the river. Okay. Um, his name is Chance. Get it right. <laughs> His name is Chance, like my parents' dog. You haven't even seen Homeward Bound. No, I haven't. I'm just trying to be cool. <laughs> well, there is a scene. I thought you were going to say when Shadow falls in the hole, and it's the most heartbreaking thing that anyone has ever filmed. So yes, I'm with you there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm totally not going to be able to give you an answer to that. No, that's fine. You can ask... You can ask me in two weeks, and I'll give you an answer to that. We'll we'll do a follow-up episode just about the things that scare Dave the most besides uh, Radiohead and and religion. <laughs> I'm not afraid of them. I just think that, you know, bad things are going to happen. Speaking of which, I know I told you guys this story, but in the last two weeks since we recorded, I got my first ever kidney stone, which was just fucking awesome. And Justin, again, like uh, a guest on the podcast, well, one of our sister podcasts, the uh, Press A Repeatedly podcast, uh, loaded me in the car to bring me to the hospital. And he turns his car on and the random radio station he was on started pumping out Radiohead. Of course. (laughs) And in my in my double over, like sweating through my clothing pain, I was like, is this Radiohead? And he was like, yeah, it's actually, I think, really early. And I just leaned forward and turned off the radio. (laughs) (laughs) I also like the idea of of you, (laughs) how you didn't mention that you guys work together and people are just wondering, like, 
when they have serious medical emergencies, do they just call other podcasters? Is that like, yeah. is that the, the <laughs> yeah. appropriate way to respond to that situation? Chris Hardwick never returns my calls. <laughs> oh my God. This was a lot of fun. Um, any closing remarks on, on movies from you guys? Any rapid fire ones that we didn't get to that you're like, oh my God, people have to watch this? There is one that, if we had more time, I'd have gone into. Um, I, it's called The Loved Ones. It's an Australian flick from 2009. I was going to do this whole thing about like how torture porn is dumb, but there's one good one called The Loved Ones. But, you know, find it on your own. The Loved Ones, 2009. It's Australian. Do some research. Yeah, nice. and I, I have no closing remarks other than we really uh, want to hear what your favorite horror movies and recommendations are. And by your, I mean the listener. Uh, so definitely write into us because we're always looking for more or uh you know you know write in and tell us that we butchered the description of one of the horror movies we mentioned <laughs> we're fine with that too um, yeah if there's ever been a need for for listener interaction this would be the episode because you're just benefiting us in the long run and really that's the most important thing in the world <laughs> yeah that being said, uh, Nick, tell them where they can find us. Yes, you can uh, reach out to us on Twitter. We are at AOE underscore podcast. You can go to our website, aoepod.com. That's where you can listen to the episodes. And you can check out our resources feed where we'll post up a list of all of these movies. Um, if we can, we'll even post links to where you can watch them online just to save you some Skrilla. Also, you can find us on Facebook just by looking up The Age of Enfrightenment. You can send us messages there. You can email us at ageofenfrightenment at gmail.com. And I think most importantly, if you're not already doing this, you can listen to us on iTunes, which is really great because you can subscribe and we'll just be sitting there in your feed every two weeks ready to, ready to go and spend an hour or so with us. Yeah, and if you feel like taking the time, please, please, please uh, leave us a review on iTunes, preferably five stars, but we get it. Um, <laughs> it really it, it helps us uh, reach more people, the more reviews Absolutely. we have. Yeah, and everybody who's done so so far, I know Justin and Chris, um, Phil and Kev, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, but me, means a right. lot. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this one. And we look forward to coming back to you with one of our more nerdy, overly researched things that we can talk long-windedly about. (laughs) Yeah. Holla. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't trained monkey. I ain't got to do what you want me to do. All right, cool. Bye!